Matthew 5. Your ancestors have also been taught, love your neighbors and hate the ones who hate you. However, I say to you, love your enemy and bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the the one who hates you and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. For that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh whether a person does what is good or evil. What reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that? How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Wasn't God talking to us already this morning about kindness? Don't even the ungodly do that, he says. Since you are children of a perfect father in heaven, become perfect like him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that you are a good God. Um, And I just wanna say, open up our hearts our spiritual ears and eyes to hear and see what you have for us this morning. We pray it in your name, amen, and amen. You can be seated. Okay. And so the world continues to open back up after a crazy season, right? And I felt like this was maybe a good time. We need to address something that I've been hearing a lot lately, anecdotally and in articles online and in print, and you have to, and that is people saying that this has been one of the most hate-filled seasons of life that they've lived through. And uh, I've heard that several times, even in the last few weeks. Um, Sociologists are asking the questions, you know, how has social distancing impacted our our friendships? And then, you know, as we, you know, gather again um, in different parts of the country, you know, what happens when roommates and and friends or family who don't agree on the risks or you know, the appropriate measures, uh, safety measures. You know, people, people have stopped talking to family members. They've, 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 they've stopped talking or even associating with longtime friends. And the church has been split in half all over the country. And mental health conversations um, have come to the forefront with depression and anxiety. And the, those numbers are going through the roof. And so on the other end of the spectrum, I, I, I want to just point this out. In a recent uh, survey, a study done by YouGov America of the unfriendliest states in the U.S., South Dakota landed, where do you think we landed? We landed at number 49 on the list. (laughs) So we actually tied with uh, Vermont and only Hawaii rated higher than us as one of the friendliest states in our country. So that's good news. In fact, the article said um, the Midwest mostly maintains its reputation as a friendly place. In almost every Midwestern state, residents are more likely to say that the people who live there are more polite than most Americans in other places of the country. So that's a big deal because how we treat other people is a big topic in the scriptures, right? But, you know, let me put a but on that. (laughs) Even here, And one of the friendliest places in America, this season has still been so polarizing for so many people, right? And so the question 
that I want to ask today is what are the people of Jesus meant to be in a city, including Rapid City? Um, Are we meant to just kind of absorb the culture or are we meant to transform a culture? Are we meant to just take in everything undiluted from the community that we are around or are we meant to be agents of change in our community? And so I, I don't know how to control out there. We can't. But Jesus has a lot to say to us about who we are meant to be as we move along in the city. And so Jesus is going to say something radical about how to be a city on a hill and a beacon of hope in a hurting world. This is how he starts. He says, you have heard that it was said. This is a conversation that you've heard. This is something that you, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, what's interesting about this is there's not a Bible verse here that he's quoting. If you go back, and as we've been kind of going uh, through the Sermon on the Mount so far, he was quoting a lot of Old Testament texts when he started this conversation. But this, this particular one, this one he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Old Testament never says to hate your enemy, right? But it did say in Leviticus uh, 19, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's, that's Old Testament right there. Love your neighbor, right? And so what people probably did is this. They read that. They said, oh, you're supposed to love your neighbor. Neighbor equals, you know, your own people. That means your friends or your tribe. Okay, so my obligation from God is just to love my tribe and my people and my crew. And who cares about what happens to the rest? And, and so they, they sort of took that to mean I'm a loving person if I love the people who love me or look like me or make roughly the same amount of money as me. And it doesn't really matter what happens to the rest of them. But if they come at me, doom on them, All right? And so that's the way people had interpreted the Old Testament. And Jesus said, you have heard it said. And then he says, I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So it's natural for us to say, hey, love radiates you know, from my inner circle, but I have indifference from those people that I'm walking by and even hate for my enemy. And Jesus says, no, love moves all the way down the line. So from the friend to the acquaintance to enemy, right? The people of Jesus extend love, not hate. We don't hate our enemies, we love them. Which sounds nice, but it's really kind of a hassle. (laughs) And so can we just say that? Because here's the thing, and let's be real about this. A lot of people don't like to admit this, but this is the culture that we live in. We like hating people. We enjoy it. And why why do you think so many articles um, are filled with rage that we see even in the news? Because they know that we gobble them up, we, we eat them up, we spit them right out sometimes, right? Tim, so this is, this is somebody from the field. His name is Tim Kreider. He's an op-ed writer for New York Times, and he concedes that his job requires him to, quote, be professionally furious. And this is what he says. This is, this is eye-opening come from, coming from, from an editor. So many letters to the editor and comments on the internet have this tone of thrilled vindication. These are people who have been vigilantly on the outlook for something to be offended by, and they found it. Some part of us, he says, loves feeling right and sometimes even wronged. 
Outrage is a lot like other things that feel good, but over time they devour us from the inside out, except it's even more insidious than most vices because we don't even consciously acknowledge that it's a pleasure. We prefer to think of it as disagreeable, but fundamentally unhealthy reaction to a negative stimuli like pain or nausea. Rather than admit it's a shameful kick that we eagerly indulge in again and again, it's outrage porn. Selected specifically to pander to our impulse to judge and to punish and to get off on righteous indignation. (laughs) So let me just say this. There is a place for righteous anger, a righteous justice, a righteous indignation. There is a place for that, that God is rightfully angry when he sees injustice. And our problem is that we sort of just, we sort of like righteous indignation to the point of we just sort of scooch God off of his throne and we sit on it and you say, you know what? I, I just kind of like this. I like this self-righteous indignation. Namely, the greatest sin that you can produce is offending me. <laughs> And we, 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 we take on a good impulse and we twist it into selfishness. And the world becomes, when that happens, an ugly place. And yet, I think it starts by us acknowledging the problem of, with getting rid of hate is that, first of all, we gotta talk about that we kinda like it. That some of us are like, that furnace of anger that's inside of me keeps me warm, <laughs> right? And so I, I don't know how many of you have, have uh, had the privilege of watching the John Wick series. John Wick um, is a movie series now with uh, Keanu that uh, made $580 million at the box office. Um, and basically the storyline is they killed his dog and they wrecked his car and over the course of three movies, he murders 300 people and counting in the series. What? <laughs> and we love it. There's, there's something about us, a culture that loves vengeance. Um, and let's be honest, it's, it's useful. It's, it's even, you know, talking about the news stories, it's an economic engine. And I, I mean, okay, but let's think of it this way. If you don't know John Wick, maybe you know Monsters Incorporated. Okay, Um, so what happens in Monsters, Inc.? They realize, you know, hey, if you stir up fear and outrage, it'll power our industry, right? And so it'll, it'll power the media, it'll power the politics. Our whole city will be lit up and powered by fear and by anger. So let's keep investing in fear and anger. All you have to do is make sure not to look at the cost that it's having on our children. But as soon as they see what it does to the kids, they realize that this driver of fear and anger is driving us in a bad direction. So maybe we need to find a different way. And is it possible that love and laughter is a greater economic engine, a greater way to live than all the anger and all the hate? And so, listen, it, 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 this year, as we've seen in our real world, gates and fences come down around our capital, we have to find a different way. And, and we have to find a different way to treat each other, right? And so how do we do it? Is, is Jesus' statement here to love your enemies just a pie in the sky statement? 
you look at him and say, well, you, you know, sure you launched a movement to change the world, but you're not being realistic here, are you, Jesus? Or does he really have something to say that can really change a society forever? And so here's what I wanna do. At this point, I could tell a lot of stories about you know, really grand gestures of forgiveness for deep offenses, but, but Jesus does something fascinating in this text, and he puts it right down on the street level of how you deal with the everyday. And so I don't wanna talk necessarily today about you know, as much about the greatest human offenses possible. I wanna talk about the daily irritations and the daily indifferences because Jesus is touching on it here. And to do that, I wanna ask, ask and I wanna answer three questions this morning. Number one, if you're looking at this and going, okay, we're supposed to love our enemies for the sake of the children, all right, who is our enemy? Right? What, what does loving them entail exactly? And then why would I do that? So those are, those are kind of the three natural questions that we're gonna go through this morning. You're talking about the enemy. Who are you talking about? What exactly do I need to do to love them? And then why on earth would I wanna do that? <laughs> All right, so who's your enemy? I'm just gonna look at this text and just, just give some definitions of the word. First of all, this is kind of like the textbook definition, enemy by definition, is the person who's against you, the person who wants to see you fail, the person in the office who smiles at you but is hoping uh, to see you go down because they want your job, right, or anything else like that. It could be for you, the person who wants to cut in front of you in the car or who wants to make sure that you don't get to merge in front of them, right, and won't make eye contact with you. You know, that guy is like, uh, I'm clearly being unkind, but I don't, if I don't acknowledge you, it's not real. Right? And you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's real, and I'm really about to hit you, son. Right? <laughs> but look at this. There are many, many, many synonyms in this text. And so Jesus uses the words, those who persecute you. Uh, persecute means to run after or to, to chase you or someone who's coming at you. He uses the word evil. That, that's someone who, who does something wrong, who does something wicked, right? Um, he uses the word unjust. Um, that's someone who doesn't do the right thing. So it's, it's not just those who are actively doing wicked, but seeing the just and the right thing and then avoiding doing it. He talks about tax collectors. And in that context, there were people that would exploit others for selfish gain. Um, and then he uses the word Gentiles. That's just the word for ethnos or the nations. And basically it's the people who care about their tribe and just don't care about you. So when he's talking about enemies, he's talking about all these kinds of people in the text here. And Jesus used examples. I, I didn't read a couple of verses before our text this morning, but he's talking about those who persecute you. And he says to, to, to love those who slap you, to love those who sue you. And then in our text, he talks about greeting people. Did you notice that? Love your enemies, how Jesus, by greeting them and saying hi to them. And so he, he counts among enemies those who don't say hi. And so notice the word enemy here is not just the persecutor, but the person who also acts like you're not alive. They, not just the person who slaps you, but the person who snubs you. Not just the person you're indignant at, but the, the one who ignores you as you pass them in the street. Now, let me say this. Is it wrong to have enemies? Somebody says, man, I don't have any enemies. It is not wrong to have enemies 
because, listen, if, if you have no enemies, what does it mean? It means, it means you're probably standing for nothing, right? We're meant to have enemies. In fact, Jesus said earlier in the same sermon, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, when you associate with me, there will be people that don't like you. And when that happens, you're blessed. (laughs) So Jesus is counting on you having people who don't like you. And so he, he said it later in Matthew 10, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? He says, you've got to decide if you associate with me, there's going to be people who disagree. If you link up with me, there's going to be people who hate And he said in John 15, if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not, I chose you out of the world, therefore, what? The world hates you. And I underline that last part, that the world hates. It's just such a traumatic thing to just kind of, right there, it's right there. Okay, Jesus, but then he says, whoa, you know, do you you want all men to speak well of you because that's how their fathers treated the false prophets. If everybody likes you, you probably don't stand for much and you're probably not gonna make much of a difference in the world, but if you stand for something, you gotta be ready for some opposition. So now let's move on to number two. The next question, what does this mean? What does love entail? If there's people who are gonna come after me, oppose me and persecute me and be rude to me, How am I supposed to love them? Well, let me give you three things in a bit. The first one is a bit. And I would just say to you, speak the truth to them. Um, I I, I think a lot of people say love means you just accept someone, you know, right where they are and don't challenge their ideas, you know, whatsoever. And to that, I would say, have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? (laughs) Because Jesus is actively offending you pretty much at every turn through the whole sermon. And, and so love does not mean accepting anybody's philosophy about anything. Actually, love might equal confrontation. And you know that. You know, who's your true friend? Your, your real friend is the one who will risk the relationship. They will walk into the awkward and say, are you really gonna go dressed out like that? Because I think we need to have a conversation. We need to reconsider that option. Your true friend is the person who's gonna press into your failures and press into your brokenness and not because they wanna exploit it, but because they care and they wanna see the best drawn out in you. So the lover hates the evil in the beloved, so out of love for their beloved, they will address the evil even if it's awkward to do so. I say that again. The lover hates the evil in the beloved, so out of love, for the beloved, they will address the evil even if it's awkward to do so. So Jesus, in love, speaks the truth to us in his message, right, in this sermon. So that's one of the first ways to love. That's, that's you just be truthful with all the people. It's, it's, it's a way to love. But I wanna focus more on the things that Jesus says to do in order to love. He gives us three things that are so practical and so earthy. That was just kind of a free one from outside of this text. That was my bit, but these are the three. What do you do with that neighbor that you can't stand, right? Number one is you pray. Amen. You pray. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Do you see the parallels? Love your enemy, that, you know, the, that, that person who persecutes you and pray for them. So the first way to love somebody that you don't like is to pray for them. And I want you to notice that it doesn't say pray against them. Lord, I just pray that you would smite my neighbor out of the neighborhood. <laughs> That's not the idea. It doesn't say that. It says you pray for the one who persecutes you. Now, they, they can persecute, somebody can persecute you through an article that you've read online, right? I can probably make a pretty safe bet that some of you have read some articles where you got really, really offended. And it's just like, well, the internet's offended me today. <laughs> and maybe you just, here, here's, here's an idea. Maybe you just scroll up to the name and the author of that piece and look in their face. If there's a picture, look at their name. Jesus says, would you read that byline and see that face and would you pray? And don't pray against them, you pray for them. What are you supposed to pray? Well, for his Jewish audience, they would have instantly thought of the greatest prayer in the Old Testament, the lyrics to the song, which by the way, won the Dove Award for the song of the year this year. Some of you guys will recognize this. It's the uh, Shema. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I want you to imagine the person that you hate right now. I know some of you say, well, I don't hate anybody. But you know, the person that maybe you strongly dislike, okay? <laughs> the one who makes your teeth clench and maybe bile comes up into your throat. And I want you to imagine praying, Lord, bless them. Lord, let your face shine on him. Lord, give him peace. Or you could say Jesus' words in the same sermon a little bit later. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So find that. Go ahead and find that prayer, that, that scripture that's on your, your notes. I want you to practice that this week when someone annoys you. And this is what you can do. Pray it like this. Say, Lord, would you make a way for them to hollow your name? That they would revere you, Lord. Would you let your kingdom come in their life? That your will would be done in their decisions. Lord, I pray that you would provide for them their needs, because they're a human being that needs food and their water, and they also need love and hope, and that's my job. I pray, God, that you'd provide for them. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive them because they know not what they do. Lord, I pray that you would change them in a way that they could forgive others and that you would so transform their heart that you would forgive them of their trespasses and they would forgive those who trespass against them. And Lord, I pray that you would lead them not into temptation, and I pray that you would deliver them from evil. Amen. To do that, you have to see the beauty of someone as made in the image of God. And you've got to see them as a victim of sin, not just a perpetrator of it. So that doesn't mean that you deny that they've perpetrated evil, right? Every person has. But you can pray like Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They... they 
they knew what those nails were doing when they drove them into the cross, but they didn't understand the full implications of the murder of the Son of God, right? And so Jesus looked at their beauty in the image of God and their profound ignorance, and he doesn't say that their ignorance makes them innocent. He says, Father, forgive them. Release them from that because they don't know what they're doing. And, and we can look at our enemies and say the same, Father, forgive them. Father, change them. Father, Lord, would you bless my enemies in your name? Just start there. At, at, at that point, you don't even have to talk to your enemies. Uh, you don't have to make eye contact. Uh, you can pray in the privacy of your own home, right? And, and this is what I've seen in my own life. God starts to change my heart towards them. Um, I've told stories many times about how I was bullied in my junior high years, and there was just a, f a few students that I can point to that were kind of leading the pack. And um, it got to the point where I was really beginning to hate these guys, um, and I began to dread even going to school, um, partly because they were relentless and partly because bitterness was starting to take root, right? Burning down deep inside of me. And I noticed that anger growing in me and I realized, you know, I don't like what this is doing in my heart. And so we know resentment does some terrible things um, inside of you. And um, <laughs> I remember... I remember my youth pastor, I was talking with him, uh, actually her at the time, and she suggested that I start praying for these two guys. There was two guys in particular, and I didn't realize that this was something that Jesus told us to do at the time, but regardless, I started. I started praying. And these guys were in a uh, private Christian school with me, and so I could envision them, you know, working on their... Bible class lesson just like me and I started praying that God would bless them and I started praying that God would teach them the things that you know they didn't know that God would give them insight and then I started praying for their families um, the two worst offenders were, were brothers so I really prayed for their family <laughs> and I was praying for their parents and and I would even get to the point of weeping sometimes asking God to bless them it was the weirdest thing because I wouldn't have started there. Not, but not only did my hate eventually kind of melt away, but a sincere love took its place. And, and it's hard to explain that. But if I run across them now, um, whether it's on social media or real life, and I have, I've run across them. Um, I love them like brothers. And it's, it's not because I'm so great, but it's because maybe Jesus is onto something here. <laughs> Pray for those who persecute you because it just may change their hearts and it just might change yours. Here's the next one. It's a little bit crazy too. Greet them. Greet them. This is my favorite. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? And he ties love to greeting people, saying hi to them. I love that because it instantly cuts out this, this pious profession that we have sometimes of love for all of humanity. I love the world. 
but I'm not going to make eye contact with my neighbor. I'm not going to say hi, you know, to the people at work because, well, they don't think the way I think. I'm not going to bother to be interrupted by the people that I see on the street. Jesus pushes past all of (laughs) my hypothetical love for humanity and says, all right, but how do you love the real people that I put right next to you? The real people, like next door. Jesus wants to know, did you greet somebody or not today? Did you say hi or not? And that sounds so small. I mean, you kind of expect, you know, Jesus to to say so much more, but he says, say hi. (laughs) And you're like, that's too small. But, you know, but how are you doing at that? I, I just kind of, I just want to dare you to say hi to 10 people you don't know tomorrow. I dare you. After one, you're probably going to go, this is stupid. The pastor's not going to check up on me. He doesn't know if I said hi to anybody or not. That was dumb. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> but maybe you're going to have trouble doing it. And I got to tell you, if that's the case, you know, maybe it will put us in touch with our own pride and our own selfishness. Jesus says, hey, what if regardless of how they treat us, we're kind? What if regardless of how anybody treats us, we're kind to people? Because when you greet somebody, what do you do? You look at them, you look at them in the eye, you greet them, you acknowledge their humanity. You are a person. The Devolution of society doesn't start with, you know, physical violence and it doesn't start with verbal assault. It starts with an emotional inhumanity. And so it's, it's almost like I, I don't acknowledge you as a human because this is just an article that somebody has written or it's just a comment on a, on a social media page. And as soon as I dehumanize you, then I can be inhumane to you. So don't lose what Jesus is doing. Here he is, he's, he's paddling upstream again, and he's saying, we're changing it up here for the glory of God and for the good of the culture. Say hi. <laughs> and it, it doesn't matter if they say hi back. Acknowledge the humanity of somebody that they are worthy to look upon, right? Because that changes the society. Um, Polycarp, he's the, the bishop of, of Smyrna. We've talked about him before. He's one of the early church fathers. He was actually discipled by John. Um, some of you will remember this story. Soldiers came to kill him, and he knew what they were doing because they'd been looking for him for, for a while, and they were going to arrest him, take him into the Colosseum, and you know, we'll all be entertained by the murder of the bishop of these Christians, right? And when they show up at his door, you know what he did? He fixed them refreshments. He, he said, you guys have been looking for me for a while. You must be hungry. He got them something to drink. And while they sat and ate and drank, he prayed for them. And these soldiers suddenly felt really bad about the fact that we're about to kill this guy because they realized every time we come for somebody, they spit at us, they curse, they, they kick, they bite, they punch. This guy, he knows that we're his enemy from the jump and he's kind. And let me tell you something. 
That's, we've talked about this before too, that's how hearts changed in Rome. That's how the name of Jesus became honored and it changed a culture. It's because people saw we have a source of love beyond what they understand. And where did it start? Greeting them, kindness, generosity. One of my favorite things about this church is that so many people land here and stay here because they say, when I showed up, people were nice to me. And they felt like they meant it. And if we had, you know, <laughs> if, if Bev and Steve were rude, And if they were on their phones and they didn't care about people, and then I got up here and I talk about the inexhaustible love of God, we're going in opposite directions, right? But when you choose to be kind, and then we preach about the kindness of God, it makes it easier to believe. So what you're doing by greeting people is eternal soul rescuing work. It really is, and all starts with kindness. So it's not just a small thing. I've told the story before about our youth ministry down in, in Bayfield. Um, I remember one kid had come to Christ in our youth group because uh, friends had brought him. It's a, it's a really beautiful story. And he showed up one day so excited about um, growing in his faith. And he, he couldn't wait to talk to me. He walked in and he was like, you know, Sean, you're not going to believe this. He said, I was at lunch uh, at the high school and I saw one of our youth group girls against the wall. And there was a, uh, this guy kind of hitting on her and you could tell that he was making her uncomfortable. And she was against the wall and he was up, at the, up on the, against the wall in her face. And he said, I could tell this whole vibe was kind of weird. And so I just walked over there and I was like, hey, aren't we in the same class together? Let's go. And he kind of rescued her from this awkward moment. And he was telling me this story so I could celebrate with him. And so I was like, you know, that's great, Skylar. Man, congratulations, that's so sweet. And he was like, yeah, it feels pretty good. And so I was like, all right, so you're, you're just gonna walk with this girl every day to class from now on, right? He stopped and he went, what? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna walk with him. He said, she knows Jesus, he doesn't, so I'm going after him. And I was like, I'm glad to hear you say that as your pastor, that's where I was leading you. (laughs) Um, I'm so glad to see that you've gained so much under my tutelage. (laughs) But afterwards, I was like, what was it? I'll tell you what that was. That was the power of God in a human life. That's what that was. That was the power of Holy Spirit changing somebody that he can look at him and rather than seeing an enemy, he sees a potential friend. Somebody who can be changed by the grace of God. And the last one is this. You provide for them. Verse 44 and 45. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So this is an agrarian society. What do you need to survive that you can't control? The sun, the rain, right? If God holds those back, you die. And he says, God looks down to people who are doing good and those who are perpetrating evil and he still decides to feed them. He still provides the raw materials 
that they need to thrive. And as he presents that as a picture of why we should be loving and kind to other people, God is willing to give basic provision to those who reject him. So we should be willing to do the same. We should be a culture that's willing to bless and care for others by meeting their very tangible needs, right? And, and let me tell you, as a church, you know, we do this whenever we can. Many of you know, um, if you've been journeying uh, with us uh, for long, Destiny raised money for hundreds of hungry families in Honduras at the beginning of the pandemic last year. Um, we provided Thanksgiving boxes for 25 families last year. We provide meals for ISI, which we just did this Friday in partnership um, you know, with International Students uh, Ministry, wherever that they, you know, and, it's, and it doesn't matter where it, whatever, if they step through these doors or not. Whether they ever praise the name of Jesus or not, it's in the name of Jesus. We love them in the hopes that they'll come to love him right back. But one of the simple ways that we can love our enemies is to provide for them. And again, enemy is even the person who blows you up, right? That you don't know anything about them, but I pray for them, I greet them, I provide for them. It's, it's very basic, but those basics can change a culture. They really can. The, the last statistics I've seen for Rapid City put us at a population this year of just over 80,000 people. That doesn't even include you know, all, the, all the suburbs. But we average you know, somewhere around 75 to 100 of us in here on a weekend. So if each of you, I, I did a little bit of math, if each of you greet 100 people in the next 60 days, so not, not this week, but you know, give me fall, give me two months, 10% of Rapid City will personally be welcomed and greeted and seen and loved and cared for and prayed for maybe by someone who's in this building today. 10%, by the way, we've talked about this too, is the critical mass that you need to change a culture. If you own 10% of a society, you can change the whole society with the 10%. We can change a city right here. And that's not even counting all the other churches that are crushing it with the love and grace in Rapid City right now. So if we decide to take up the simplicity that Jesus has, Rapid City could really change on the charts. And maybe it'll all be for the glory of Jesus, right? He's the headline. So... Let's close by asking, why should we love them? Some of you are like, well, Sean, that's all inspirational and all, but I don't want to do that. Good luck, guys. You know, why, why should we do it? So let me give you three reasons and we'll close. Number one is because Jesus said so. <laughs> the Sunday school answer for everything sometimes is the only answer that you need, <laughs> right? Because I said so is a compelling argument from a parent, right? <laughs> and Jesus said, I say to you, Love your enemy. And if we love Jesus and he says love them, we're meant to love them, right? I don't know if you've heard it this way before, but no Lord is an oxymoron. It's putting, it's putting two words together that are opposite of meeting, right? Kind of like the words uh, seriously funny, original copy, um, plastic glasses, um, clearly confused, which many of you are right now. No, so no Lord is like that. We know that Jesus is Lord, so he gets our yes. And if he says, love your enemies, we say yes. Now, graciously, he gives us so much more than that because he's cool like that. He's all sufficient. 
Um, so the second reason, let's keep on going. We should love people is because those who know grace show grace. Jesus does not ask us to give what he has not already provided. So he, he talks about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Is he saying there that loving people is how you become a son of God? Well, no, and there's a lot of verses we could go to for that. Jesus says in John 15, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You know, bearing fruit does not make you a disciple, but it proves that you are. And so he said in the same sermon, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Why would they praise God if you do something good? Because they know you're already connected to him. And so when they see his good works through your life, they praise the God who changed you. And they will bless God through you. So Jesus isn't saying do good in order to become a child of God. It's do good to show that you are. So the world will recognize that your father is gracious and merciful even to the undeserving. So you be gracious and merciful even to the undeserving. So when Jesus told us to pray, one of the greatest prayers that we could pray for our enemies is that uh, God would forgive them. And remember, Peter asked him about that. How many times do we have to pray? Jesus, seven? Jesus says, no, <laughs> 70 times seven. He also told a story of a king who is, um, who'd owed an enormous debt by one of his servants and he forgave all of it. And then that servant, well, what did he do? He refused to turn around and forgive a tiny debt from a fellow servant. And Jesus showed the dichotomy of it. It's crazy to receive grace and to not show it. Those who have been loved much, love much. Grace received becomes grace extended. So Jesus is not asking you to give what you've not first received. But if you've come to know the grace of God available in Jesus, you have a resource that's meant to flow out to others. It's a natural thing that's supposed to happen. So we do it because he said so. We do it because he empowered us to do so. And we do it because he, said, he says that your reward in heaven will be great. So there is a, there's a future. And, and God likes when we're kind to difficult people. And so he, he loves to reward us for doing that. Why, why does he save, you know, reward for heaven? Because all throughout scriptures in the church history, Christians have died loving their enemies. You, you may love your enemies and they may kill you, right? You may, you may, like Stephen, who preaches, you know, a great sermon and then they hit you with rocks. But as he's falling to the ground, he prays a prayer that should be familiar to us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the last thing he saw was a savior, Jesus standing. The savior that we're told is seated on the throne stands to accept a Stephen who looks like him. God delights to see us do what he did. Jesus gave his life for his enemies to make us friends. He calls us friends. And when he sees us do the same, all of heaven celebrates a love like that because that's the picture of a changed heart. Um, we're gonna get ready to close and pray in just a minute, but here's the beauty of it. The last reward that we can get is we just might make enemies into friends. 
Martin Luther King, he preached on this text. It's, it's in the book, Strength to Love. He told the story um, about Abraham Lincoln. And he says, Lincoln tried love and left for all of history a magnificent drama of reconciliation. He tells the story of when Lincoln was com- campaigning for presidency. And one of his arch enemies is a, name, a man named Stanton. Some of you have heard this story before. Many of you know this. Uh, uh, Stanton met Lincoln earlier in their law careers and had a chance to try a case together, but Stanton turned to his friend and called Abraham Lincoln several words that I cannot say in church. Ape was the nicest of those words. He said a lot of other ugly things about him and he blew him off. He wouldn't even talk to him or make eye contact with him. And then when Lincoln ran for president, Stanton trashed him at every turn. And then when Lincoln became president, Lincoln was surveying who to put in his cabinet. He needed a secretary of war because the nation was on the brink. And as he surveyed America, he found the ideal candidate, Edward Stanton. So he brought him in to his inner ring. And when he did, this is what Martin Luther King says in his message, there was an immediate uproar in the inner circle when the news began to spread. Advisor after advisor was heard saying, Mr. President, you're making a mistake. Do you know who this man Stanton is? Are you familiar with all the ugly things he said about you? He is your enemy. He will seek to sabotage your program. Have you thought this through, Mr. President? Mr. Lincoln's answer was turned into the the point. He said, yes, I know Stanton. I'm aware of all the terrible things that he said about me. But after looking over the nation, I find he's the best man for the job. So Stanton became Abraham Lincoln's secretary of war and rendered an invaluable service to his nation. Not many years later, Lincoln was assassinated. Many laudable things were said about him. Even today, millions of people um, still adore him as one of the greatest of all Americans. H.G. Wells selected him as one of the six great men in history. But all of the great statements made about Abraham Lincoln, um, out of all of them, the words of Stanton remain among the greatest. Standing near the dead body of a man he had once hated, Stanton referred to him as one of the greatest men that ever lived. And he had a lot of really good things to say about him. And he said, he now belongs to the ages. If, if Lincoln had hated Stanton, both men would have gone to their graves as bitter enemies. Through the power of love, Lincoln transformed an enemy into a friend. And it was the same attitude that made it possible for Lincoln to speak a kind word about the South during the Civil War when feelings were the most bitter. Asked by a shocked bystander how he could do this, Lincoln said, Madam, I love this. Do I not destroy my enemy when I make them my friend? Martin Luther King says this is the power of redemptive love. And speaking of his own day, he said, one day we shall win freedom, but not for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process 
And our victory will be a double victory that I didn't just win the argument, I won the enemy. I didn't just win justice, but I got to win the unjust as well. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He was just in punishing sin and the justifier in making a way for the sinner. We can call evil, evil, and still pray, God, will you make the enemy our friend? It's possible, I've seen him do it. And he can do it today. Some of you are in here and you're wondering, what does it take to be right with God? And let me tell you, you know, it's not in turning over a leaf, you've turned over too many bad ones, right? It's looking to Jesus who lived the perfect life that you could not. And he says, here, be perfect. This is the last thing he says in this passage right here. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we look at that and we say, well, I'm not that. And neither am I. But Jesus is called the one who knew no sin. He never touched this stuff. So he became sin for us so that we may be made right with God. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were a long way off, he ran for us. And that kind of love transforms rebel humans into children of the king. So let that love sweep over you and then you can let it flow through you to others. And we'll see neighborhoods change and a cities change, but it all starts right here. Father God, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for helping us to love even when it's hard. God, help us to show love the way you show love. Help us to see people through your eyes. God, give us the desire to pray for our enemies. God, to provide for them. God, to greet them in your name. God, to love them. We, we desire to see a city change, God, and we can do it. Lord, you've given us the answer. Lord, just set this word on our hearts today. Let it set. And you do the work in your mighty name.